0: And my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honored to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit, understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Lynn Christian is an ICF-certified, master-certified coach and author with over 25 years' experience working with corporate and personal clients. Lynn was the Director of Innovation at Franklin Covey, an ambassador for the World Association for Business Coaches. Today, Lynn is a trusted advisor to various companies and has been a featured keynote speaker on stages such as TEDx. In this episode, we chat about Lynn's best selling book, Soul Salt Your Personal Field Guide to Confidence, Purpose, and Fulfillment. How habits set you up for success, and how investing in a coach will take you to the next level. Welcome, Lynn, to the Ethical Evolution. Thank you. I really appreciate the invitation. Now, I'm kind of excited uh, to be with you today. You're joining us all the way from uh, Utah in the States. Uh, For those people who've been living under a rock (laughs) and don't know who you are, can you please go ahead and tell us?
1: Yes, I'm a master certified coach through the International Coach Federation. I'm a TED Talk, TEDx speaker. I'm a competitive athlete in fencing. I'm a parent, a grandparent a partner. I am uh, a business owner, an entrepreneur, and uh, someone who's really interested in progressive thought.
0: Mm. Now uh, you also uh, worked uh, at the Franklin Covey Institute. Is that right? I did. Yes, I had three jobs there. I was I started as a writer
1: and developer of content in their innovation group, worked up to be a project manager and then was asked to be associate director. Over a project management innovation center, and then from there was asked to be the director of innovation for Franklin Covey Coaching Division.
0: Mm, I and I, you know, I must say I was a huge fan of um, Stephen Covey uh, uh, back in the day, and um, still live by the principles of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, absolutely love that book, and and those principles still, you know, have merit today. Um, they do, and a lot of your philosophy in in your work. Um, really is around the habits we have isn't it it is it's around uh, the way we live Mm. philosophies that we use to
1: guide our lives the beliefs the values those sorts of things so when I worked at Franklin Covey there was a lot of synergy
0: Mm. Mm. and also I've checked out your TED talk which I absolutely love Um, um, for, for those who haven't seen it yet do you want to tell us a little bit about what you cover there
1: Yes, and I actually came to Melbourne. I uh, certified in multiple brain integration with Marvin Oka and Grant Susalu after they had published Multiple Brain Integration and Neuroscience Approach to Inner Wisdom. And I talk about how words are not just things. They're actually reflections of perceptions, concepts, constructs that we have within that we use to communicate and share those outwardly and that we have more than the four brains in the head uh, we have a functional brain in the heart with forty thousand neurons and 500 um, million in our gut system which starts here and goes to our back door and that when we get in touch with that we can do what my company is all about find our truth so that we can live it one of my entrepreneurial uh clients calls it her her uh her gut toaster Mm. and it pops up when things are you know, the little toaster oven that pops up when things are right or not right. And so that's basically what I talked about was that if we want to understand how to navigate our life, we get to the salt of our soul and we all have access through conversations with our head, heart and gut brain.
0: And I absolutely adore that term, um, the the salt of our soul. Um, And and your book uh, is around that as well, isn't it? Yes, in the company. And I was
1: named by clients. So I started coaching in 1998. I didn't formally become um, a company until 2002. And then I left Franklin Covey and went full time in 2004. Along the way, I took some of my best clients and asked them to talk marketing. And they said, You should be called Salt of the Soul. Mm. You know, there's one part of what you do that's very tangible. And we can manage our time and our habits and our lives better. And then there's this part that's esoteric, that we can't put our hands on it, but you just touch pieces of us that are nothing short of the soul. And so when the group said, well, you should be salt of the soul, it didn't roll off my tongue. But I thought, what if we transpose that and call it soul salt? Mm. And so that's how the company was named by people who had experienced my coaching. And then when I wrote the book, it just seemed correct that the book should have that same title.
0: I absolutely love it and, and it really just, it does get to the, the heart of of everything that you are about um, and the thing I love about you that um, is very different to other coaches that we traditionally see um, in, in your field um, is that you do have that connection with the soul, you know, there's that, that more, the inner workings of us more so than the, you know, the external hustle and the, you know, the winning and all of that kind of stuff. Um, which I think, you know, a lot of our success comes from our inner wisdom and our inner health um, rather than anything external. Would you agree? I absolutely agree. Mm. Yes. And uh, yeah, so um, I actually want to talk to you about intuition as well, because this is a big part of, of this too, right? So when we talk to leaders, um, whatever their field is, even entrepreneurs nowadays, I don't actually like the word entrepreneur. Can I just say that? (laughs) It's not one of my favorite words. (laughs) It can mean so many things to so many people and it's up to perspective. But, um, let's say you're a leader in your field, whatever you do, intuition plays such an important part. And again, it comes back to that, that inner knowing, um, in your decision-making, Can you give us some examples of how you help leaders actually find that? If they want to find it, Mm. if they don't want to find it, then
1: I use it on their behalf where I'll pick up things and know just the right question to ask or maybe the correct analogy or metaphor and say, may I share this and I'll share it. Did you get anything from that? And then they give me the feedback. So Sometimes I can work with someone and I use their ability to listen to the heart and the head and the gut. And we'll go through a formal uh, series of questions that activate the heart brain and the gut brain and the head brain. And I'll have them track where their answers are coming from so that they can see their heads online. The prefrontal cortex is firing. It's talking to the neurons in the heart. We're getting verification from the gut. and They go back and forth and they can feel their answers as much as hear them. And so the somatic experience of, and that visceral experience of hearing what their truth is, makes quite a profound shift in how they can now function with more confidence and decisiveness. So they don't necessarily even have to believe in it for me to be able to activate it in them so they can use it because it's present in all of us. Mm. And uh if they have a hard time talking on those terms, that's fine. We don't have to go with those terms. We don't have to disrupt the the ecosystem within them to have them access their inner wisdom.
0: Yeah. And I, I know for me, um, in, in the work that I do, um, I would I would be completely lost without my intuition. That's that's how half of the things I create come about. Um because exactly. you know, like if if you're in that flow and you're in that energy of without the resistance um, and and it's just organically coming to life for you, that's when you know your, your intuition's, you know, on that sweet spot and that you're exactly where you're meant to be. I agree, yeah. yes. Now, for those people who who want to actually get in touch with you and learn about your coaching, Lynn, where can they go?
1: SoulSalt.com is the best place for all things. Um, I have my blog there. We have our online courses there. You can connect with a the book there. Um, I'm more active on Instagram on Soul Salt Instagram or even my personal Instagram, which is LYN. Lynn is short uh, Christian. I think that's the hub for most of it. We have boot camps, we have master classes. That's that is the hub.
0: Mm. Now you were mentioning earlier that you're also an athlete and. You've picked you've picked a very strategic sport, um, fencing <laughs> of all things, and I find that fascinating, absolutely fascinating. How did you get into fencing? Well,
1: if you get into my book, you see a chapter called Possibilities and having a possibility practice, and I've had one for a very long time. There are many heart dreams, aspirations, notions, wishes that we all have, and they gurgle up across a lifetime, and I pay attention to those. And so at one point in time, I ran into a fencing foil that my cousin had. He was in a a play, Pirates of Penzance. And (laughs) and, and I said, what is this? This is a weapon. This is not a toy. This is not a prop. And he says, oh, yeah, this this sport is sword fighting, and it's in the Olympics. And I watched it, and I was like, I want to do that someday. So I went to college, and there was a class, and I took it. And and then I was ready to graduate. And it was like, okay, not time for me to take – fencing on seriously. I had a family, I've raised a family, I've gone through uh, a career and many changes. But um, somewhere in my 50s, I ran into Jim Jones, which is a world renowned gym. And they had sponsored me in their gym because I had been their coach. They wanted to coach me. And they showed me how strong I was and how much endurance I could build. And so I started triathlons. And after a while, after several years, um, and I took on triathlons because I almost drowned as a child. So I want to face that fear. Finally, I was like, I'm turning 50. I don't know how to swim. Mm-hmm. I need to come out of the closet about that and talk about that. So uh, my kids didn't even know. And so I learned how to swim and compete. But after several years, I realized I hate the swim. I hate being in open water, competing that way. I love the competition. I love what it's doing For my physical fitness but it was also wearing down my body Mm. you can pound 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 for so long and i was losing agility coordination balance and so i decided this is the time to pull out that uh, weapon out of the closet and learn to fence so i can regain some nimbleness some agility some coordination and keep my brain sharp because it is you're playing a combat sport Mm with another person who wants to take you out Mm. and uh, you're, you are playing chess with uh, weapons. So it is very strategic. I tend to have a very strategic mind Mm. and I pick some very good strategic coaches to guide me. And it's just fun. It's fun to keep the wellness and the fitness going and the sharpness going. And I feel like when I finally let myself be a fencer, I recognized how much of who I really am Gets to be portrayed through that sport,
0: mm. and and you've been doing that for a few years now, haven't you? I have, yeah, yeah. But since
1: uh, at least twenty nineteen, I think was my first national event that I went to. I was uh, not really prepared for it, but I went to it anyway. <laughs> I was a, such a novice.
0: Oh well, we gotta start somewhere, don't we? Um, yes. And, and what's your goal? Do you do you actually want to get to an Olympic level with this or wh- where you want yeah, to go? I want to
1: get to a mastery level? So it takes about 10 years. The learning curve is pretty steep in a fencing in, in that particular sport. There's so much technique and nuance. And um, and so my goal, I've I've gotten close. I've reached 10th in my age group uh, of the nation at one point. I'm 15th to 40 to 70 now as of. Last weekend, I went to another national event. I want to be able to be good enough to be invited on the veteran team Mm. of my age group and go to the world and compete on the world team. And last year, the USA team just rocked it in Croatia. Absolutely rocked it individually and collectively. So we have a very good veteran team. In fact, the Vet 60s, which is my division, is really considered in the veteran uh, fencing world and women's epee one of the most competitive groups of athletes.
0: That's incredible. Well, I I look forward to seeing you on team USA in the near future. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it, it it makes me curious to think, you know, with with your illustrious career and all the strategic coaching you've you've done, is there any learnings that from that you can apply to fencing? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Uh, after January, after I was t- ranked 10th,
1: uh, my coach and I had a serious discussion. I won that uh, ranking and I, I got an E uh, rating. I, this last weekend, I moved up to a D. It's like in martial arts where you yep. go up a, a color in the in the belts. Um, we sat down and got serious about how I won. And I won because I had two really good attacks. And we recognize that if that's good. But if you want to go for mastery, I needed to blow my game up, take away what I was really good at, learn the things that I hadn't learned yet, and then piece them back together. And that's where we are. There are times when I'm working with an executive or an innovator or small business owner, where what got them to a certain level of success is not going to get them to the next level. And you need to blow your game up. Mm. You need to stop relying on the one or two tricks that you have that are working. Because if you want to go to the next level, you have to have a full bag of tricks. Mm. You have to really have a a broader area of expertise. And that's what I was able to display on uh, Monday of this week. And my coach literally was like, it was beautiful to watch you piece things together. And when you were on you were amazing to watch. It was so fun. I remember coming off the piece in my second DE direct elimination and hearing a small crowd cheering for me. And I looked (laughs) over and and there was a collective of about 10 people, some from my my club and other people who were just there for me. Mm. And I was like, oh my goodness. And they were pleased with what they saw. And I was like, I know I was pleased with what happened, but I was like, I don't know they get it. I want to give those kinds of experiences to my clients. I know the rigor of discipline. I spend 20 to 25 hours a week just on my fencing and my fitness. Mm. And so I know what it takes if you're gonna go to the next level in anything, the focus you need to have, the consistency you need to have, the knowledge, the coaching base you need to have, the learning you're willing to do, the repetition, the one more time you've gotta go out there and and beat the blade on on that dummy. It's, I know by applying what I do in fencing, assists me to understand being in the trenches, being a novice, being afraid, facing down an opponent, making decisions in the moment, messing up and then picking yourself up and going again. So by fencing, I really call it my lab of personal growth that I can reference so that when one of my clients is in a similar vulnerable spot, absolutely can empathize with them, but even more importantly, have compassion mm-hmm. and wisdom of how to support them.
0: Mm, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And you know, mastery. You know, we talk about those habits again. We come back to those habits and, you know, I I think I was reading an article of yours where, um, you know, you talk about starting out your day and really those habits at the beginning of your day really set the stage for your entire day and how it rolls out. Do you want to tell us how you start your days and how those habits help you? (laughs) I I will tell you how. Uh, It's probably mundane
1: for people to hear. (laughs) But I'd be happy. Um, one way I'll just give the overview, one way they help me, is they give me an entree to the day where I've literally set myself up for success. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like I'm ready to enter. So I the first thing I do is two minutes of meditation. It's a body meditation. I learned from uh, Emily Nagalski out of um, one of her books, "Come as You Are." And it just gets you grounded. And then I do one minute of focus, and that's from Huberman's work on how to stay focused. It also, those two things help me stay really calm and centered anytime I need those just before a big uh, event, big, you know, like I'm I'm on the strip and I'm waiting for this champ to come over and see if I can do anything against this 40-year-old champion um, that gives you that stillness. So I start with a quietness. I don't even turn on my phone. And I don't turn on any lights. I do that with the light of day that might be coming through the windows. And then I do a stretching routine. And uh, I even wake up my hands and my feet. Like it's a whole body sort of thing. I might do some thoracic stretches uh, by hanging on a bar. And then um, I go downstairs and I get the dogs out. And we, I get a lot of first light in my eyes mm-hmm. for sleep purposes. Um, And then my partner and I do, uh, we have tuning forks and we do an electric, we use the tuning forks to wake up our bodies. Um, There's a whole thing about sound and vibration. And then it's uh, feeding the dogs, getting them out one more walk. And then I do 30 minutes of footwork for fencing and blade work, shower, get ready, get some breakfast and go to work. All of that happens, you know, between the time I wake up and the time that work starts. And then there's an after work routine and there's a winding down for a bed routine. So I have everything written up. I have a trainer that's written a program for me. I follow the whole 30 food program Monday through Friday. Uh, I embellish it a little bit on weekends if I want some ice cream or a cookie <laughs> or something, or I might have a beer. Um, but that's really a lot of routine, a lot of ritual, a lot of uh, repetition and a lot of mindfulness that just sustains and supports me to be quiet and still, so I can hear my inner wisdom, and be prepared to listen astutely and be to attuned in to my clients.
0: Mm. And you know, I was um, I was speaking with a uh, a fitness coach uh, recently from uh, Florida, and uh, they were talking about getting up incredibly early every morning, um, and and you know, not not sleeping in. Uh, and I think he gets up at like 3 a.m. or something silly. Um, but, you know, there's people like Mark Wahlberg who get up at 4 a.m. He's got the 4 a.m. club. Do you have any philosophies about getting up early and getting into the day early um, and, and going with those circadian rhythms? Well, I think that's the key, isn't it, yeah.
1: is finding your circadian rhythms. The one thing I get cautious about, and I'm not saying that these people are not also prescribing to this, we need our sleep we do 8 7 you know 7 hours 8 hours 9 hours i raised three children and often on my own mm. a single parent and i know what it's like to to go to bed at 10:30 get up at 5 5:30 to get everything done to take care of three children yourself and a job mm. and a home now that I'm in a position, I wake up at 6, 6.15, 6.30, and then I let myself wake myself up on Sundays. Uh, Saturday I have an early morning, relatively early morning uh, open fencing that I attend. So the one thing that a lot of us need to be aware of is what our sleep requirements are mm. and fulfilling those because without sleep, it's just like being drunk or drugged. And we are not able to be at our prime or our peak performance when we're tired.
0: Yeah. And that does so much to our brain, doesn't it? You know, um, and our decision making and our coordination. And, and like you say, it's it's like being drunk. Um, so sleep is important. It's also part of that self-care. And if you can get into that rhythm of finding your own circadian rhythm, and I know you mentioned earlier about getting out in the sun and, and you know, first thing in the morning, that can do so much for your sleep too, can't it?
1: Yes, it can. So um, anybody who wants to follow this, you can look at Andrew Huberman out of Stanford in California. He has a great podcast called the Huberman Lab. And if you look at it about sleep and focus and those kinds of things, there's just nothing that can beat getting up in the morning and getting that first light from the, the daylight, the sun, the even before the sun comes up. And mm-hmm. then the other thing that I do is go out with the dogs once or twice at night As the evening is coming on and the lower level light, or even if the sun's beyond beyond the horizon and you just have the sun glow, that tells your body back to the hunter-gatherer times, yes, now it's time to sleep. We'll get up in the morning again. And when that light hits us and you get that into your ocular uh, system, you know it's go time. But it's really hard to sleep if you're messing with uh, Mm. screens, you have screens in front of you and it's the last thing you see or the first thing that you see. Yeah, I mean, you can tell it. You, you, You go without looking at a screen for the first 45 minutes of your day. And as soon as the screen goes on, your brain changes gears.
0: Yeah, yep totally. And I, you know, I work in digital and so I'm constantly in front of the screen and right. on weekends, I try to at least find a good chunk of time where I'm away from a computer, away from a screen of some kind. Um, and it makes a world of difference. It really does. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Now, one of the things, um, that, you know, as I'm also a coach, um, but I'm, I'm more of a spiritual coach, um, people find, they don't think they need to invest in a coach, which, you know, you know, budgets are tight nowadays. I get it. But I was recently talking to someone who, um, is a recovered, um, addict and they've actually employed a coach to help them be a coach. And their approach has just been incredible. Um, and I think one of the things we forget is that we can't do everything by ourselves. Like you were saying before, it's it's having that toolkit for mastery. So, you know, you've got to max things out beyond what you know and you can't do that on your own. Can you tell us why you think coaching for, for people who want to take it to the next level is so important?
1: Yeah. there, And it's, it's neuroscience that's proven this. Um, I'll come from two different angles. Uh, the first one I'll put a pin in. Our brain, the mammal brain that we have, is so big. This The other mammal that comes close to it is the, the bottlenose dolphin. But we have like 50 times more power in our brain and more space for functionality. So we'll put a pin in that and come back to that. the The second reason that coaching works is... Neuroscience has now proven that there are neurons in our head, heart, and gut brains that will not fire and wire together and give us new connections for new possibilities and new potential without somebody on the outside facilitating our conversations with ourselves. So if you go on of your own, you'll go so far. Yeah, You can self-teach so far. If you want the edge, you've got to have a coach. Or somebody who's a good facilitator or mentor or guide on the outside that's not giving you all the answers but teaching you to think beyond your frame of reference and to nudge you and to inspire you and to get those neurons simply to fire so you have those new networks for new possibilities. I know this. I've had to learn fencing and there are some moves that are so technical and when to do them that I'm going to fail more than I'm going to succeed But having a coach who can help me give me this word and then this move and then this nuance and then turn it this way and then another coach who sees it from another direction, eventually I can hone it in. Without that outside feedback, I would be 10 times longer. So there's that. Now go back to the first one. We found out that our brains are so big and they've evolved to this, not because we can be great thinkers, but so that we can be great connectors. Mm. And sometimes we need somebody else believing us, in us, seeing our capacity and mirroring it back. Sometimes we don't know what's possible for us until we see someone encouraging us and we do it. And then through their feedback, they can mirror to us what that looked like or we can see it. Sometimes we just don't know who we are till we see what we do. And when we have somebody to mirror back what their perspective was, it's far better than if we just stand on our own. Had I not had my coach tell me how spectacular it looked to see me getting 15th against 40 year olds, I wouldn't have seen through his eyes that there were some of my touches that were so precise, they felt textbook. Even one of my peers said, I hope you go back and watch that video. It was beautiful. Well, I can feel it on the piece, on the strip, but I don't know how good beautiful is until I get some, some outside feedback that says, yeah, it's as good as it felt. And if you have a coach who's well-versed in whatever it is you're trying to get to, they know how to get you there. They can give you that feedback and you can build your trust in yourself and your skills so much faster. You know, I think some of my clients would get to the same conclusions that they're getting to, but it might take them 18 months longer. And some of them don't have six to 18 months to wait.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, I think having that feedback um, from someone who has already let, reached that level of mastery um, right. really gives us that motivation to continue to grow and stretch and and go further. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, you also mentioned just before, um, as part of your routines, uh, you use tuning forks and, and vibration and sound. Um, I actually spent two years uh, going through sound healing, um, which absolutely transformed my life. Um, how, did, how did you find um, tuning forks um, to, to change your daily habits?
1: Yes. So uh, my, my partner is a physical therapist and um, she's always looking for new healing modalities. And she found Eileen oh. Uh We actually, we ran into somebody, we, we did a joint trip to um, Ireland mm-hmm. and, and there was a local guide there uh, that took us through the barren and she was offering those. So we, we purchased one of those tuning fork session for each of us while we were there. It was magical. And yeah. Then Susan and I went to Vermont and Susan got trained on it. And one of the things we started to notice is how much our body is like a battery. Mm. There's so much electrical current. And so it tunes, tunes us in to a frequency every morning. It's like a meditation. We put on music, we go for five minutes, we do it in the same room within the, you know, within five feet of one another. And there is an aliveness and a vibrancy that it brings in that I, I really do, um, have a strong, I, I can verify it works.
0: Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and also uh, my healer was trained by Eileen as well. So, um, gosh, what a small world it is. (laughs) Right. Now, uh, Lynn, I've got, um, the last big question for you. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life?
1: The change I would love to see is I would love to see the women of the world rise up in their power with dignity and grace and compassion and wisdom and strength. And when they do that and stand side by side by men who have been tempered to be able to eloquently and masterfully accept the power of the feminine, I think that's when we see the masses start to unite and the transformations that a lot of us are seeking happen. Mm. It first has to come through that female rising, which I believe is happening.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And women are such powerful beings if they're given the space to to grow. Uh, and yeah, I completely agree with you on that one. Um, listen, Lynn, you have been an absolute ray of light. Thank you so much for being a part of the ethical evolution.
1: Bindi, thank you for the honor of being here with
0: you. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com.